think might have to change the wording to that. The son was bemoaning earlier that only have a week. Amen. I don't bear Job chapter two, chapter two. And I want to begin tonight with a question that I'd like for you to consider. What does it take? Not only not only the big picture, quit on God, but quit a project or quit uh, quit something that you've set your heart to do. What does it take to make you quit? I'm working right now. I started today on putting together my personal. 2022 goals that I set for myself. I'm not a big fan of resolutions, but uh, I, I like the word goals better. I'd like to set for myself goals, and so I you want to do. We'll be talking about this in the next couple of more as New Year's comes on. But I like to make them make them achievable, but yet make them not the easiest thing to reach. Uh, and then inevitably, probably won't reach all of them. I'll quit <laughs> some of them on the way throughout the year. We just do that. We start something. And we quit. What does it take to make you quit? Ignacy, I'm saying this way wrong. He's a Russian person. Ignacy Jan Paderewski, he was a pianist. There is, I don't even know if he's alive still. A very famous pianist, and he was scheduled to perform at a, at a great concert hall here in America. It was a very high society, blue, uh, blue uh, highbrow type of, of event. And present in the audience was a lady with her nine-year-old fidgety, son that she brought in hopes to encourage him to learn piano. And as she turned to talk to some of the people that were around her, or just having a conversation, this kid slipped away, and he goes up, uh, he's kind of drawn to the big Steinway piano up there on the stage, and he walks over to it, and he's staring at the piano keys, and then he sits down on the bench, nobody's really noticing this yet, but he sits down on the bench, and he starts to play Chopsticks, the first song every kid knows. Even if you don't play piano, a lot of people play chopsticks. The crowd came to an immediate hush, obviously. They started pointing in his direction. There were shouts from all over the crowd. Whose kid is that? Where is this kid's mother? Get that kid off the stage. And backstage, the composer, Peterowski, heard what was going on. He hurried out to the stage without a word. While this little kid is playing chopsticks, he reaches around him and he starts, and he tells the kid, just keep playing, and he starts to play a counter melody that goes with the little chopsticks the kid was playing, and it turned out to just be a fantastic, of course, he's, he does what he does. So he began to improvise this uh, harmony with him, and as they played, he kept whispering to the boy, keep going, don't stop, don't quit, just keep playing, don't stop, keep going. And I, I, I read that story, and I think it's the same way for us with the Lord. Uh, there's not anything impressive we're doing by playing our little game of chopsticks in whatever uh, endeavor we undertake. But about the time we're ready to quit and give up, how many times do we hear the master as his hands come around and help us in our meager efforts? Keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. In the meantime, he makes beautiful music to offset and to enhance our weak efforts of what we're, if we just don't quit. Disappointments can turn into victories when the master steps in and begins to play a counter melody in our lives. The greatest part of this section of Job that we're going through that just amazes me and has for years when I read the story of Job is that he did not. I just find that unfathomable what he's going through. And we look at this again. We're going to mention Job's wife tonight again and talk about what she said. But we look at this story and we... We judge the story by the parameter of our lives. I mean, do we really step in and realize if every one of our kids are slaughtered, if all of our goods are gone, if everything we own is just wiped out in a single day? We don't really put ourselves in that position. It's so hard to even imagine that. But Job didn't quit. 
he's going to experience one more attack from Satan. The first attack we talked about last time we were here, it involved four tragedies that, evolved, that robbed Job of his possessions and his children, his possessions and his progeny, like Pastor Forsberg's the same letter for the word. Uh, the next and last attack is going to destroy Job's health. Now, I want to start reading, if we can, at verse number 1, chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them and present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou hast moved me against him to destroy him without, excuse me, without cause. How many of us would the Lord be able to say the exact same thing he did before trouble, and now he says the exact same thing about Job after trouble? Tremendous faithfulness. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown, and he took unto him, he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still remain, retain thine integrity? Curse God, and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. In all this Job didn't quit. I want to talk tonight for a few minutes about his affliction. Father, we pray that you'd help us now. Bless the reading of your word and the observations we take from it. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to, we talked about this, and I'm not going to beat, beat a dead horse again, but just the flat fact of the permission for the affliction, I love it again. Satan had to get permission for what he did. Uh, he could not afflict Job without divine permission. The place was the same. The sons of God came before here. Uh, again, Satan came to present himself before the Lord. In verse 1 there, Satan was among those who did. The celestial beings here had to give a periodic accounting of their work to God. It's interesting that Satan is also said to present himself before the Lord. Even though he has a high position, he still has to account to God for his doings. And then we not only see the place, but the probing before the permission here. God again asked him about what he's doing, probed him. He forced Satan to give an account. As in chapter 1, he asks him two questions. Uh, the question about his content, conduct, from whence comest thou? Now, more information is required here than just the location. It involves his conduct, and Satan answers from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, the same thing he had said before. Now, Satan's fall resulted uh, in his being relegated to earth, which is quite a fall from his former position. But as bad as this is for Satan, we know a much worse thing is coming for him. As I always say, if Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Revelation 20, verse 10, talks about where he is headed. The question about the consideration. He again asks him to consider Job. And almost exactly the same question is asked that was asked in chapter 1. And I love the fact that here God is almost bragging on his servant Job. Can you imagine that uh, still here he says, holding fast to his integrity, although thou movest me against him? 
holding, I, I'm, but just stopping and thinking about for a second, and we've talked about this before, but I, I want to drive this point home because I need to hear it myself repeatedly. The idea of God bringing you up as a good example. Isn't that a great thought? Uh, I mean, that'd be, that'd be quite an honor, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, you talk about humanity going down the tubes. Have you considered my servant, Wes? Have you considered my servant, Lee? I mean, have you con- that'd be an amazing thing for God to bring us up and uh, use us as an example. He, he had not recanted his faith because of all, even, even though all these trials came. Uh, then the exoneration, thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. The evils that came on Job, God says, was not because Job did anything wicked. Now, Job's friends are going to say something different. But God himself here says that the suffering was without cause. He did not bring it on himself. I counsel, and Pastor Forsberg does too, all the time, people who come to us for us to fix, (laughs) who are in a fix because of bad choices. They bring trouble upon themselves, and then they come to us to fix them. They don't want to take their medication. Medication like go to church faithfully, read your Bible, pray, be faithful, serve God. They don't want to take any medication, they just want to be fixed. And uh, it's, it's uh, often, probably most of the time, because of personal choices made in their lives. This was not the case with Job. This came without cause, God said himself. Now, you would think that Satan would act a good deal more humble. <laughs> not that there's any humility in Satan, but he has just lost the first round with God. But uh, he was absolutely wrong about his prediction that he's made. But he doesn't admit that. Rather, he says, it's because I couldn't do enough. uh, He wanted to do more, bring physical affliction. I want to look at a couple of things here in his question. First of all, the axiom in the pursuit. The axiom we see is skin for skin, verse 4 there. His philosophy about faith is based on the axiom skin for skin. The explanation of this philosophy is given by him when he says, all that a man hath, will he give for his life, verse 4. That is basically saying that Job will recant his faith, curse you to his face if he is personally afflicted. Now, Satan does not acknowledge his defeat, what he's already said, but he now makes another claim that uh, his first attack wasn't as severe enough. If you let me touch his body, he'll curse you to your face. Now, Satan's idea here is based on the worldly philosophy that, well, really, that caused him to think his first claim. The world does not know or recognize the spiritual power uh, that keeps a person devoted to God. They don't get it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life, but to be faithful to God during troubles and trials, by the way, that's why one of uh, my favorite sayings of uh, Dr. Paul Chapel that I have adopted, used uh, often, your, the, your best sermon is you in the valley. You'll never preach a better sermon to your children. You'll never preach a better sermon to your lost relatives and friends and neighbors than you in the valley. If they watch you in the valley and you are still faithful to God, that says volumes more than you ever will say audibly. And so that's what Job is doing here. Uh, that The world doesn't know this. They don't realize this. All they know is the material and the physical. And all they real the, the health and wealth, this guides everything all the choices that the world makes. It is absolutely foreign to them to hear of a character that inspires a person beyond health or wealth. So that's what Satan says, skin for skin. You let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. Now, look at the appeal. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. This appeal, uh, 
<laughs> it's, it's again asking for more pain. All that he has done to Job, I want to hurt him more. It uh, reveals Satan's hatred for those who are faithful to God. Listen, if you determine in your heart, and, and we were just praying a little bit about it and talking back there with uh, Brother Rob a second ago, but, but it's, faithfulness today is it's a rare thing. I mean, look around. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> I wish you were here as well. Uh, but look around at the, at the uh, difference in Sunday morning to Wednesday night. This type of faithfulness to God is rare because people just don't do that so much anymore. And uh, so the, the, uh, the, the thing is, if you just determine in your heart, and we've seen it, I could point out illustrations, I don't want to embarrass any families in our church, but I could point out illustrations in the past year even of a decision to be faithful to church or a decision to be faithful in giving and all kinds of problems that entered into their life uh, to try to restrict them from continued faithfulness. Satan's going to step in. He doesn't want you to be faithful. You determine to be in church every, every service, he'll put all kinds of obstacles in your path. You determine to give faithfully, he'll put all kinds of financial hardship and emergencies in your life to try to get you to stop. He doesn't want you to be faithful. And so this is a, we see this so clearly here. What bothers him most about this Job is that Job didn't curse God to his face. That's what he wants. He didn't care about Job. He wants God to be dishonored, and Job wouldn't do it. And we see that again. In the uh, when he says this, he will curse thee to thy face. This was his ultimate goal. And what a challenge to us regarding trouble. If we can continue to be faithful, then we are honoring God and not honoring Satan. Could we say then, if we do stop being faithful, if we do not curse God maybe in so many words, but in our actions, we're honoring Satan at that point, not honoring God. All right? Look at the permission, or the prohibiting here in the permission. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. The afflicting can only go so far and no further. Now, like the first attack, God will not allow our trials to go beyond what he decrees, or what the, the line he puts. Remember, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that he will not allow us to be tempted above that which you're able, because uh, he, he'll, he'll allow us to be able to bear it. And you can be sure, Satan, although he would love to, will not go any further. I've heard it, I hear it in counseling, and I hear it when I talk to people who will constantly tell me, Pastor, I can't handle this. I can't take it. I cannot take any more. And I always come back, yes, you can. With the Lord's help, you can, because God wouldn't give it to you if you couldn't. And it seems like too much sometimes, but he certainly does give us the ability. to. Troubles do not ever reveal a weak God who has been overpowered. He's always in control, and so we need to give him that uh, honor. Now, let's look at the particulars here of the affliction. Uh, verse 7 shows us the haste. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord and smote Job. He wasted no time doing his evil work. Uh, just like he did the first attack, so it was in the second attack. He moves the instant permission is given to him. Now, again, I'll make mention, I said this before, but if we moved uh, with as much zeal in our Christian lives to do right as evil does to do wrong would be in much better shape. Evil doesn't hesitate, and it's wrong. We need to he not hesitate in our doing right. Now, so we see the haste, and we also see the hurt from the affliction. He was smote in verse 7. He had sore boils. This word smote carries the meaning to hurt or to wound. Now, some have tried to figure out exactly what disease this was. It doesn't matter. It was bad, all right? He was hurting. He was hurting bad. It was a terrible, terrible, painful affliction. And then the heaping of the affliction. In verse 7, smote Job from sore boils 
with sore boils from the sole of his feet to his crown, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he was afflicted with these sores. So he heaped these this trouble upon trouble as Satan loves to do. That's the saying we sometimes use when it rains it pours. Have you ever felt like that? Because it's not enough for him to bring a little trouble. He brings more and then more. He wants to overcome us. Then look at the hideousness from the affliction. In verse 8, he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all. Uh, not only was it painful, it was hideous. He had to scrape, the, he had to take a piece of broken pottery, essentially, and scrape the pus and the sores uh, from his body. Uh, you, this would drive uh, the others from him because of his situation. You can imagine the repulsion and probably the odor that came along with it. And of course, this brought humility. He sat down among the ashes, verse 8. This man Job, the greatest in all the East, the richest, the most successful, the John Rockefeller of his day, sitting diseased in a pile of ashes. And Satan will humiliate you. He'll destroy you in every which way that he can. And so, uh, all this, by the way, again, to remind us, Satan's doing this not only to hurt Job, but he does not want God to be honored. He wants doesn't want God's people to be blessed. He doesn't want them to bless the Lord for it. He's going to do all he can to stop both. Now we come to the pessimism of the affliction. In all of Job's trials, up to this point, we haven't heard about his wife. We're told about his children in the first attack. We're told that all his children were killed, but nothing is said about his wife. Now Satan did not touch Job's wife. He is instead going to use her. Satan used Job's wife to encourage a wrong attitude or pessimism on this problem here. We still have this type in our society, in our churches, in our families probably, uh, everywhere, every segment of our society today, people that are just the negative, the negative Nancys that bring, uh, want to respond wrongly to everything that happened. This is the only time that Job's wife appears in the book of Job, just this one little scene. Later, they had more children. There was some kind of restoration with them at some point. Uh, maybe she came around, I hope. They had more children. They had a, a family after this. But, uh, and, and I put this, I, I mentioned this before, but I want to mention again tonight this disclaimer. I've searched commentaries just out of curiosity. I looked almost every one that I have this last week, and I couldn't find one place that didn't only condemn her. She's condemned by everybody. I've always condemned her, and, and we'll talk about some of the things she said tonight. She did say the wrong thing. She did react in a bad way. But can we just stop and give pause a little bit and realize that Job's wife was a human being and a, a woman, and she has just stood by ten graves. And I really think, uh, Paul Crow and I were talking about this earlier this year, said, until you've stood beside ten graves of all your children, lost everything you have. Let's not be too critical, because how would we respond? Now, I'm, I'm saying that she, she does wrong, we're going to take lessons from it. Okay? But let's not just, I'm not going to beat up on Job's wife like sometimes I even have on the past, uh, because it's easy for us as we sit here, our family's intact, our life together, our bills paid. She suffered like none of us have ever suffered or ever will suffer. And the question again is, how would we respond? What would it take for us to quit? Would, would, would we at this point be right along with her? Yeah, I give up. I've tried serving God. This obviously is not working. So with all that said, there are some lessons that we can take from what she said and how she responded. And hopefully we can apply these lessons to our lesser problems that come along. But I just want to give that, I want to give her a little benefit of the doubt here 
and give her a little grace, okay, because she did go through this tremendous... But here's what she said. We see the reasoning. Then said his wife unto him, verse 9, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? The integrity is meant here, faithfulness to truth and to God. This question is how the world reasons, by the way. This is worldly reasoning that she's giving here. Uh, The worldly reasoning tells us that it does not pay to serve God unless he is paying us to do so. Uh, If it's not a beneficial thing, then why do it? If you're suffering the loss of physical comfort, material gain, then the only conclusion is that devotion to God is vain. So why remain loyal to someone who's not blessing you? Why do you think that prosperity gospel preachers are so popular? And why do you think they're so successful in what they do? Because that's exactly what people want to hear. If I serve God, I want to be blessed for it. I want to be repaid tenfold. And that's the message that many of them cling to. Uh, in, In worldly reasoning, all the, the world views and this worldly thinking is the physical and the material. Eternity, heaven, uh, rewards beyond what we see physically, these are, these are not things that enter into their reasoning. So this is a common worldly philosophy. Then look at not only her reasoning, but her recommendation. Curse God and die. What an awful recommendation to make to anyone. Uh, but it is a popular reaction to trials. Again, I don't want to use names, but we have... Uh, we, we have a family that we've been working with right now uh, that we will probably never see again. Some trials came, troubles came, given up on the God. And it's sad. It always breaks my heart as a pastor, but uh, it's not that uncommon. People try God, and when he doesn't pay off, they quit. They, and I'm asking you tonight again, and those that are listening online, what does it take to make you quit? Don't allow things to come into your life and make you quit because if, if you think God's a bad master, have you ever tried serving the devil? He's horrible. It's not going to be any better out there. You can't leave church and expect life to improve. He's a horrible master, as we see. And so uh, it's a terrible thing to do, but so many people do that. Something goes wrong, they quit. It is a philosophy devoid of hope, and uh, so many people get caught up in it. You see the reasoning and then the recommendation, then look at the rebuking by Job. He rebuked his wife, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. He described his wife's comments as those of a foolish woman. I think it is instructive. He did not say, wifey, whatever her name was, you are a foolish woman. He says, you're speaking like one of the foolish women speaketh. I don't know. I mean, I'm a husband. I think that's kind of kind of him. He's not calling her a fool, but he is telling her what you're saying is what one of the foolish women might say. And uh, I just think that's, uh, just personally looking at that, I think that's a kind of a diplomatic way of a husband to show a little kindness to his wife there. Uh, you're speaking like a, a foolish woman speaks. And then he goes on, what shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Now, this is a noble rebuke, and we take, need to take note of this. When we rebuke someone, uh, there's two things that it ought to include. It ought to include indictment and instruction. Now, we are to rebuke brothers and sisters in Christ, not eagerly like some people do it, not as a habit like some people do it, not every time we see people as some people do it, Just, uh, but there is a time that if I, uh, you know, Jeremy and I are great friends and him for me as well, if we as brothers in Christ see something in the other person's life that concern us and we want to be a, and we love each other and we want the best for each other, so... I go to him and, and, and rebuke, or he comes to me and rebuke. It ought to be two things. It ought to not only have the indictment, but it ought to have the instruction. The problem is with many of people in church who are 
professional rebukers, they usually just stop at the indictment. They don't, there's no help there. Uh, there's just an indictment. Now, uh, I was reading something this week. I can't remember exactly where it was. And uh, it was a pastor that was writing about his staff meetings. And uh, he said he made it a, an, a hard rule that nobody could ever come into a staff meeting and complain about anything unless they also brought with it their suggested solution. I think that's a great policy. People love to complain, but they don't put any work into the solution. And so uh, this, 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 this was good. So it, it not only condemned evil, but it instructed better conduct. Job's instruction here teaches us about the sovereignty of God. Hey, God gives everything. He can take it all away. I mean, can we... Are we to and by the way, the answer to this question, not really part of my message, but the answer to this question is yes, by most carnal Christians. Should we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? Yes. That's what most carnal Christians would say. Yeah. If I'm, do, if I'm going to church, then only good ought to happen. They get good for years and never thank God for it, and one bad thing happens and suddenly they're ready to quit. That's how carnal Christians look at Christianity. It's not the right way to do it. Job's view of God was correct. He gives good. We can also take evil from him as well. God is sovereign. Mankind is not. God controls everything. He can do as he pleases. So if Job has received good times all his life from God as he has, he can also receive bad times. That was, And then in verse 10, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job's wife recommended he cursed God. Job steadfastly refused to do so. He maintained his integrity, his righteousness. It shows the strength of Job's faith and the stupidity of Job's foe, which is Satan. Uh, showed the fact that, by the way, the James 5.11 speaks of the patience of Job. And indeed, Job had a lot of holy patience. And this patience came as a result of his great faith in God. His faith had to be great not to turn against God here, as you can imagine. My, but how many people quit for a lot less reason than this. I mean, Job remained faithful here in spite of the loss of his family, his fortune, his health. And many Christians today will quit on God for far less than that. Not even all of one of those, just part of one of those, and they'll quit on God. Their faith is so weak that it doesn't take a painful trial to depart from God, from serving God. Maybe it's just it'll just take a virus with a 98% survival rate. That's all it took for some people to quit on God. And uh, that's, that's a sad commentary of Christianity today, that that's all it takes. Satan does not value faith in God. He did not respect one bit Job's faith in God. He doesn't see it as a strength. He sees it as a weakness. That's why Satan uh, and his controlled world today views Christianity as something for only the weak. But they are wrong because it is faith that makes a person strong. Hebrews 11 gives a record. Uh, we call it the Hall of Faith, and it gives a record of all these people that had faith in God. And there's one verse in Hebrews 11:16. I'll close with this verse. Just think on this as you leave tonight. But now they desire a better country, and that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. <laughs> That's powerful. I'm going to preach a message on that someday. Uh, that he, God's not ashamed of Job. Hey, 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 have you checked out Job? Check out Job. Job, he trots him out before Satan as an example. He's not ashamed of Job. How many of us he'd be ashamed of? What an awesome concept. Satan has it all backward. It is not affliction that will destroy faith, but it's faith that will overcome affliction. First John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. If affliction overcomes our faith, 
then our faith is too small or non-existent. And the Bible says that faith is a grain of a mustard seed. You move mountains, right? So we need to just exercise the faith. Amen? Good example there, isn't it? Job.